Hey folks, this is Tony Russo from the So What's Your Story podcast. Um, I just want to let you know that uh, one of our team got hurt. Uh, Patty Patty was in an accident and she's recovering and, and we, we, we wish her the best, but we're going to be behind for the next month or so as we try to kind of work everything out. But Patty will be returning soon to uh, make sure that this is technically better than it is when I'm doing it. That's for sure. Um, in this week's show, we're going to talk about publishing and it's just Stephanie and I. Um, and we will return to you guys with guests at, in October at the at the absolute latest, or otherwise you'll get another little audio message from me. But meanwhile, stay tuned. I think you'll enjoy the show. This notion of like, what if I could take all the stuff that I learned when I had to go through the self-publishing process with Crossings, what if I could take all that and help other people who want to walk through it, who have a good story to tell, who have um, a reason to tell their story that probably won't get traditionally published, but that doesn't mean the story shouldn't be told or it doesn't deserve to live. Hi, this is Stephanie Fallon. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. And today on the podcast, you just have me and Tony. We're catching up. We're we're doing a little bit of a little bit of house cleaning. We're going to catch you guys up with what's going on with us. Um, we're going to let you know some of the guests that we have going on, and I want to talk to Stephanie about what she does because usually during the podcast, I find a way to make it about what I do and why I do what I do. And uh, recently, I, we actually got to do a whole podcast about that. Um, and yeah, it, when was, I, it was really hard to get you out of your shell for that. <laughs> uh, it was surprising. And what I wanted to do this week after we get some of the house cleaning out of the way is talk to Stephanie about why she does what she does and how she does what she does. Because it's it's important for you folks to know. It's important, I think, for people to understand that we do this because – not because we're incompetent or incapable of doing other things. But these are, these are things that we like to do. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think the first thing that as far as housekeeping, um, I just want to fangirl a little bit uh, – this morning, I picked up my phone and realized that the local NPR station, which is out of Salisbury University, WSCL, WSDL, uh, they actually tweeted about our podcast. And I was like, immediately, I'm sending Tony messages. I'm like screenshotting the Twitter notice. And I'm like, Tony, did you see this? I was like, so this is happening. And he was yeah. like, uh, you need to calm down. <laughs> it's too early in the morning for you right now. Actually, I was I, well. I was working out at the time. I was I was at the gym and I was on the on the elliptical machine. Um, but what I what I said was, you know, their fans can get used to it. Like people like what you do, and they're going to continue to. I mean, it's it's very cool that NPR because they have a bunch of followers and, um, and they like us. Uh, the producer over there, I think, is 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 legitimately likes what we're doing okay. uh, he likes the idea of podcasting in general um i know that they're trying to start kind of like a podcasting culture um in i feel like it's ocean city or the ocean city library or something like that i don't okay. know i i thought that all podcasts on the eastern shore had to go through me <laughs> unofficially <laughs> officially unofficial yeah i don't i don't i don't like this idea that other people have access to the internet no but it's <laughs> it's cool it's cool that that they're into us and i think that they think it's cool that we're doing this because there aren't a lot of individually produced podcasts out there locally like we are talking about being local um writers and we're talking about what's going on here in the area 
and we're focused on independent writers or or small writers doing doing their thing because they like to do it and and it's well produced you know yeah, and, i like to think yeah, so we, we got we, expensive microphones recently right and uh i stand i, 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 I Unless I'm stuttering, you know, <laughs> it, it sounds like it sounds like it could be an, an actual radio show, and I think they appreciate that, and certainly we appreciate that they appreciate it. Yeah, it was really it was really cool. I mean, I think it was one of those things where sometimes you do a thing, whether it be writing or the podcast or whatever, and you think you're kind of doing it in a vacuum, like you're doing it alone. I mean, honestly, when we started this podcast, I thought it'll pretty much just be my sister in Philly listening right. to this and being like pat on the back for me you know and then the first month that um we really had some good statistics roll in and patty who's um our business partner here and she handles all the tech back end stuff our rss feed and uploads and all that she was like guess how many listeners you had or how many unique visitors you had you know on this particular feed and i was like 30 you know right, like yeah like come on tell me and she was like no and i was like oh so it's less. Okay. She was like, no, try like 1500. And I was like, what? I mean, just totally blew my mind. So I think, and then to have someone like WSCL, you know, that, that NPR station, Delmarva public radio to have them actually just send out a tweet, be like, Hey, if you check this thing out, I mean, for me, that was like one of the heights of, you know, that was, it, it is was somebody, cool somebody who does what we do professionally. Cause I mean, we are professionals, but we're not professionals at this. Like, no, not even close. There's, 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 there's no paycheck. If we don't do it, no one cares, or we only don't get, we don't even get ang- angry letters. But as someone who does it professionally, for them to say, "Hey, we really dig what you're doing," that's really nice. And uh, it's funny, and I want to be a little, and I'm not, I don't want to be too jaded about it. But one of the things that I learned early on working in the newspaper was that very thing, like I went into the newspaper business just as social media started to become a thing and then all of a sudden people were strangers were either tweeting not tweeting at me when i started no because there wasn't such a thing but people were on facebook saying hey i i saw that i like that or you know they would send letters and we we got a letter here early on and it's cool yeah. for the, to, for someone to take the time to say hey i saw what you did and i liked it or in the newspaper business and i hated it and i hope you die but at <laughs> least you're like hey people really people people are out there listening or reading what i do and it's cool it makes it a little bit easier it does it makes it a little bit easier it makes it feel not i mean we would probably do this if no one was listening just i do because i do three other ones that no one that no one's, to, yeah. yeah so i mean we already know we would do this if no one was listening. <laughs> but when you realize that you you do have listeners and they're taking the time to like send you a message or somebody like delmar Public radio just sending out a tweet about you it was like hey, this is a pretty cool moment. So yeah. if anyone out there wants to send us an email, you can actually send it to podcast at saltwatermedia.com. And that's all together, no hyphens, but podcast at saltwatermedia.com. And we'll get it. We'll read it on the air. We will write back to you. Um, we don't have anything to give anyone, but, um, you know, except well, our gratitude. <laughs> well, Todd and I uh, used, to do a, used to do a giveaway of... Um, uh, stirs. I had a stir collection, uh, uh, a plastic stirrer, like alcoholic beverage. Yeah, stir. I, okay, I, I, I have maybe I don't know eighty of them or a hundred of them. And uh, the idea was, I'm sorry, Todd is, is does one of the other Toddcast with the other podcast with me. It's called the Toddcast. Um, and we used to give away, and like that was like no one is listening at all. Like, like <laughs> I mean, maybe they don't want the stirrer, and I can, but you feel like if enough people were listening, one of them would have wanted wanted the stirrer but we just 
We just couldn't make that happen. So, you know, I mean, maybe we should come up with a cool giveaway. We we could we could give away a bookmark. You know, we could we could give away postcards that say Delaware beer on them because I only have <laughs> about a thousand of those. And you could sign them, and then I could sign them. And there you go. Okay, so if you're listening to this podcast and you write in or you email in um, and say, "Hey, I listened." Send me my damn postcard. Stephanie and I will, si- will sign a Delaware beer or an Eastern Shore beer. I think I have got a couple of those postcard, and we will drop it in the mail, and we will send it to you. I should make you write a haiku on it. I, Personalized I could, haikus. I'm, I'm more of a limerick guy. Did I ever tell you my limerick Ooh, story? No, I, that's right. You are a limerick guy. I'll write a haiku, and you can write a limerick. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, so my limerick story is I was got, I used to get those dictionary word of the day oh, right, thing, right. and a friend of mine was trying to get into graduate school, and, and she was like, well... You know, I need to learn more words. I'm like, well, read. But no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, so why don't we do this thing where, where, we, where we have to do a sentence, where we have to use the word of the day in a sentence. And again, this is really 1997. I don't know. Right? Sure. Um, and I'm like, well, no, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to. So I made it a rule that I had to write a limerick for the word of the day. That's and, pretty cool. And then I, for like a double challenge, I had to try to define the limerick, with, de- define the word with the limerick. And I thought okay. that would make a good card game, but that's as far as I got with it. Yeah. Well, it might make the card game if people write in and want to get a limerick. You could do a limerick and I can do a haiku. There you go. Send I mean, the word you want limerickized. Or hai- haikued. Haikued. And we'll- I haikued. <laughs> <laughs> but don't send like a 40-syllable word that needs haikuing. You have to... No, like I don't want to have onomatopoeia in a, in a haiku. Right, either one. Either right. the word or the instance. True. Very <laughs> Blam. <good>. <laughs> <laughs> but also recently we had we did our first live podcast. We had you on as our as our guest. So you switched chairs. We had uh, Jeffrey Smith, who was a previous... Uh, uh, guest author on the podcast. Actually, it was one of my early favorites of what we did because I felt like at that point I actually didn't embarrass myself on that We podcast. really hit our stride with Jeffrey on the show. Yeah, I think we did. It was one of the first ones where I listened to it and I was like, hey, I didn't do half this bad. Good, you yeah. know? I was like, okay, not cringeworthy. And so that kind of always stuck out in my mind. So Jeff actually came on and he co-hosted. Nearly as shy as I am. Yes, it was amazing. It was like pulling teeth to get either <laughs> of you to talk. But. And uh, a little bit, a little behind the scenes on that, and it's also part of the housekeeping. For those of you that both came to the podcast and listened to it, you, you might have noticed that they were two different shows. Um, so what happened was the night before, we came here just to make sure the mics worked, and then we started talking for a while, and then we were like, well, we're in this, and so we ended up doing the podcast, uh, which was good because... One of the things that I do when I'm not the guest is I monitor the systems, and I didn't expect or train anyone to do the systems monitoring, so the recorder went off about a third of the way through. Mostly, it's us talking about setting up, and then (laughs) the recording goes off. So um, we ran the one that we did the night before, so if you were here, bonus, you can listen to it. Because you never heard any of it before. And and I think that we should never practice again because the night before was a better show, it I think. It was. I think it was. I think we were more engaged and we were a little bit more at ease. And we were tr- – one of the things – one of the mistakes that we made, I think, um, and I was I – was, I'm like, well, we can't talk about this again. And so we tried to very hard not to cover the same topics. But I'm not that interesting a guy. I'm loud. <laughs> 
but, no. but there are only certain ways you can rephrase a question and I can rephrase an answer that's kind of stepping around. So I think that that was one of the issues. And also Jeff got to talk more when we did the practice run. And yes. it wasn't really like it that night before it just happened. No, you were like, all right, so we're going to run through the podcast. And Tony and Jeff and I were like, oh, sure, we're running through the podcast. Right, but... I didn't mean it. That's why I, <laughs> I'm the only one who knows it was an accident. Like I, I thought that we were going to just practice what we were going to say in the beginning and practice the end and be done. I didn't know that we'd be practicing the middle as well. Nobody did. And it was one of those things where like everyone's standing around saying, should I say something? And nobody says anything. And no. then you end up doing, you know, a 40 minute podcast. But it was a beautiful accident. It was. And, and it came out very well. And we're looking forward to our, our second secret guest. Um, yep, we have a couple of people that we are in the process of kind of linking up with. So we'll, we'll get those uh, nailed down very shortly. Right. And we're going to do this until you beg us to stop. We're going to do the live podcast on Second Friday. And eventually tens of thousands of you will come and we'll rent out the Civic Center and do it there. That but for now, we'll do it here. Um, you know, we had beer. We had wine. We had cheese. It was a nice. It was a nice. It was a nice evening. It was just like a book signing, except that. Um, there were no books signed that were mine. There were <laughs> Ben was here and yes, sold his books. <laughs> that was that's that when people ask me how how did the podcast go, I'll say, Well, a member of the audience sold more books than I did. Um, but it wasn't about selling books. It was kind of about selling books, but also it was about doing the live podcast because we have this kind of energy now and I'd like to see if we can if we can bring this to, to Berlin and to the Eastern Shore generally. Absolutely. I would very much like to see that. And I felt like uh, we did have audience members. We actually had several um, that came and sat in the audience. And, and they weren't paid. Cool. They were, no one was paid to be there. Um, they they might have been bribed with alcohol. I mean, right. I'm not, we're not above that. Uh, but no, we, had, we actually had chairs set up and we had people, in the chairs. real live people. Who, who came here willingly um, mm-hmm. that were in the chairs. So that was exciting. And then actually Patty also did a, a live video and I think it got like over 200 views. Very cool. Yeah. So that was kind of neat. And then there were people who um, made comments on the, on the live and were like, I'm sorry I couldn't make it, but you know, say hi. And that was kind of a cool moment too. So I think we'll also have Patty do that again. Cause that seemed to kind of fill like another little Absolutely. component in there. Yeah. Kind of you know kind of added like a little something to it and again the todd cast that i do with todd you've you've tuned into it mm-hmm. we do that on facebook live and it's a nice it's a nice addition i think that for our quiet ones it might not be appropriate because i think sometimes people are no. a little uh little squeamish uh, yes yeah, a lot of times especially the they're writers, you know, and, and sometimes they're not like, hey, look at me, you know. Yeah, no, there have been a couple of people that are like, so there's no video, right? I'm like, no. And they're like, okay. And that once they find out there's no video, that kind of sets them at ease. But I think the live podcast event kind of does match up well with the thought of doing a record, a video recording. Right. Just simply because we can see the audience and then see us and everyone's being weird and it's more of that kind of a, a moment. And I meant to thank Patty for the flattering angle because if you're a really big guy, you like someone to shoot up. <laughs> so like that your gut is the first thing people see and they're like, wow, is there a little tiny head on top of that gut? 
<laughs> all about perspective, Tony. <laughs> I know. Always. Um, but anyway, it went well. We invite yeah. you guys to come out. Um, so every second Friday, uh, so the second Friday will be September 9th, and we started at 7. Well, we said 7, but a few seven-ish. people trickled in around 10 after. So we don't really start right on time. But so September uh, Friday, September 9th, we will do a li- another live podcast here at Saltwater Media in downtown Berlin as part of the second Friday Arts Draw. And we'll, we'll promote that. I, I didn't do a good job promoting it on... Uh, on oceancity.com or on any of them and it's it's weird it's like believe it or not i didn't want it to seem too self-serving i mean because i'm not i'm i'm obnoxious but i'm not like a self-serving kind of obnoxious so i'm like i didn't want to be pushy about it but okay. i can be pushy about the next the next person it's yeah, a we'll cool be, thing we'll that goes on pushy. in berlin and uh it was it was a lot of fun to do looking forward to it for next time yep and we'll we'll just again we'll do it till they till to no one shows to stop. up right. and they we, they just rip these mics out of our hands. Right. And and we can also next time give the guests an idea of how it's going to go. Yeah. I think also, well, the one thing I think we did really well was I think we got our audio right. I yes. Think that was a good Audio good in bonus. the places right. And I took uh, the the equipment that I need to do it better next time and I put it in that bag and I'm not ever going to touch it again under any All circumstances. Right. Yeah. Because this good. is the only place that will let me do live podcasts anymore anyway. Because you're not the karaoke Because I'm not the karaoke guy. So last but not least, let's talk about you and what you do and why you do it. So for those of you who got this far and did not know, Stephanie is uh, one of the owners of Saltwater Media, and she's... She she runs the publishing division, yep. and uh, Patty Patty runs the technology division. Apparently, there's someone who runs the retail division. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we just make that up as we go. <laughs> they name divisions, but they don't necessarily have people who do them. Um, so, talk about how you got into the business, why you got into the business, so people sure. know. So, um, my whole life, I sort of fancied myself as a writer. Uh, you know, I started writing when I was really really young, and uh, one of the because I loved writing, I found myself at Washington College, um, primarily because they have... Well, number one, it was... There were a lot of reasons why I chose Washington College, but um, probably the most significant to this conversation was that they have the Sophie Kerr Prize, which is the largest undergraduate literary award in the country, and they offer that to a senior at graduation. And so, being a writer, I saw that and was like, wow, that's like Mount Everest, right? You Did know? you know you were going to win it on, before you were at graduation? No. Or was it a, like, no, hi, find out- welcome to graduation, you're the Sophie Cut. Yes. Her- wow. You find out when the rest of the world finds out. That's crazy. Yeah. So, and what was interesting, so I was a senior in high school and I wrote these, I was a terrible poet and I put together these poems and... They had a freshman Sophie Kerr one-time little teeny award, and I was like, all right, I want to put in for that. And I was uh, so self-assured, and I didn't win. Right. And I remember I was crushed, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've applied early decision. I'm going to this college. How am I going to win the big one if I can't, if I win, can't win one of the teeny little ones, that's right? That's so funny. And so, but it was really, it was a good thing. Um, and so I basically was like, well, I'm just going to buckle down. I'm going to take every writing class that I can take, and I just just threw myself into it. And long story short, um, I became I, I, somewhere around my sophomore, junior year of college. I switched from being a terrible, awful poet to being sort of an okay, creative nonfiction short story writer. And so for my senior year, I put together a collection of short stories about the Eastern shore, all real stuff that I had heard growing up and all that. And I kind of repackaged it, put it together, put in for Sophie Kerr prize and just, you know, hope for the best. 
And so at graduation, uh, you know, we're all sitting there and we're all nauseous. Like, this is what these four years have led up to, like, right. this moment. Like, am I good enough, right? And so they're like, you know, they get to that point. And I was sitting in the front row because I was kind of a nerd. So that's what happens when you're a nerd in college. Mm-hmm. You get a front row seat at graduation. And so I saw like, from the sides all these sort of people kind of coming in with cameras and stuff like that. And and then I was like, oh, man, here's that moment. And then they, you know, call my name and I didn't even didn't even register that it was me. But that's great. Yeah. So I won the Sophie Kerr Prize for this collection. Now, the people were coming it, to take pictures of you. They knew. No. No, they were moving in because they knew that person would have to walk past me. Oh, I see. <laughs> to, to get up there and to to the thing and you know where where President Toll was handing handing it out. And what makes the Stoker Prize so big is um, the year that I won it was sixty two thousand dollars. So they just hand over a check for sixty two grand to a dumb twenty two year old kid. That's crazy, you know. And um, so, kind of what let me. So that is kind of that part but so i had this collection of short stories and i was like all right i won the sophie kerr prize had my 15 minutes of fame and you know you're on the associated press and all this stuff's going on and no one would touch it no one would publish it no mm-hmm. one had any interest i couldn't get an editor or uh, an agent i had one agent tell me if you're ever not doing if you're ever not writing this stuff give me a call and i was like what i don't even know what that means like <laughs> so um, I couldn't get anyone to touch it. And I think part of what happened was the lady who won the prize the year before me, Christine Lincoln, was on Oprah, uh-huh. had a major book deal. And then everyone in my class got this very false sense of security that, like, one of us was going to win and it was just going to continue. It's like a license to print money. Right. And very quickly. Now, did she do – was hers a fiction book? She did fiction, uh, fiction short stories. Her name is Christine Lincoln and the book is called Sap Rising. Very, very well done. And then I went with these creative nonfiction short stories about the Eastern Shore. And everyone's like, nah, not so much. So uh, I feel like people have to connect in a really different way with nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things, one of the little things I thought about your book um, was that you, one of your stories, several of your stories, but the one in particular really had this kind of in cold blood feel about it. And the reason that in cold blood was such a success is that people, connected with it and also because it was fictionalized a little bit like you have to you have to and that's where creative nonfiction comes from this idea where the story is true but if i just relate the facts i'm not gonna i'm not gonna personalize it for enough people i'm gonna personalize it for people who are into it and you know i was i one of the things i studied in, in college was history and you cannot bore me with a story you cannot give me something that is too dead or boring. You can give me stuff that's too bad, but if it, if there's a story, if there's a narrative, I'm I'm hooked. Right. right? But I'm not your I'm not your audience. If you want to sell more than one, I'm not going to buy four thousand books just so I can say I have them all. Right. Right. And so that was kind of the thing. Was I? I'm not sure. In 2001, people really knew what to do. I sort of feel like creative nonfiction. You were ahead of the curve. You're right. Either I was ahead of the curve, or I was not fitting into the peg of the time. Maybe that was. I mean, people have been doing creative nonfiction for a long time. I don't want to say like I invented it or anything, but I, I'm not sure I was, I was, that was the wave at the time, you know? The and wave so, was do either, either these, either these garish memoirs or fiction that's on, and that, and that you were kind of at the height of the Oprah decides book club, what books we're exactly. all reading. Yeah. And that was like when, you know, after I won the award was when James Fry came on and lied to her with a right. stupid memoir. And I was like, son of a biscuit. That's exactly you know? what I was thinking. Yeah. And I was like, ugh. 
you know, uh, so, you know, there was kind of that component. So no one would, would touch crossings. And so very quickly I realized that if it was going to live, I was going to have to self publish. And I had no idea what that meant. Mm -hmm. I just knew that for the most part, people looked down, looked down on self publishing. Like it was something lesser than, or you must be a reject because you couldn't get traditionally published. But here I was, I kind of felt like the poster kid for legitimizing self publishing because here I was a, I was the Sophie Kerr Prize winner. I had won the largest national uh, undergraduate literary award for a collection of stories. It wasn't like it meant something. It wasn't, right? it wasn't just like you felt that people needed to hear your stories. Right. Other people said, no, this is quality work. Exactly. So I kind of felt like the poster child for it. So when I kind of set out to do it, I did know what I was doing. And I just had to figure a whole bunch of stuff out. I made some good decisions. I made some not so great decisions and, you know, kind of had to walk my way through it. And so at the same time I had a job in corporate healthcare because, you know, you have these things like after college called like a mortgage and right, electric yeah. bill and all the, you got to get benefits. You got to start paying into the system and doing all those things. So had a, a nice job in corporate healthcare, which was, there was no, um, there was nothing artistic. There was nothing creative. There, there wasn't a whole lot of that kind of thing. I was just sort of a body in a chair getting a job done. Right. And after 10 years, I thought the company that I worked for was sold and there was kind of a whole bunch of flux. And I just thought, I can't do this another 10 years. And so would have been kind of fermenting in the back of my mind uh, was this notion of like, what if I could take all the stuff that I learned when I had to do, when I had to go through the publishing process, self-publishing process with crossings, what if I could take all that and help other people who want to walk through it, who have a good story to tell, who have um, a reason to tell their story that probably won't get traditionally published, but that doesn't mean the story shouldn't be told or it doesn't deserve to live. Right. But it should live in a way that is a quality product and a you know, in that it looks right, it has all the right pieces to the puzzle. It's not, there's no staple in the corner. Exactly. I just felt like just because people are self-publishing doesn't mean they have to look like they did it themselves, right? So. And I love, I love the fact in, in my story about the story of your life, you were too far ahead of the curve with the narrative nonfiction. Um, but then you are just right on the curve because you picked up self-publishing right when it started to get hot you were right before it started to get hot so you were already in it when this self-publishing explosion kind of occurred yeah and and the thing about legitimate i don't i don't mean and not to not to shit on amazon but not um not just i'm going to send an email to amazon and they're going to put it in a book and send it back to me this is like i'm going to go through the process and you had the you had the you had both the expertise and the equipment at a time when that wasn't as common as it would become soon after. Sure. And and I really felt that there were people who have good stories and they might not see the light of day otherwise. And, mm-hmm. I, and I just sort of felt I'm one of them. You know, I, I'm a person who wrote stories. I felt like they should live. And I didn't know how to do it. And I just wish there had been somebody at the time to kind of hold my hand and explain the process, explain how it works, help do make the right decisions. And so uh, 
I started talking to some people. Uh, actually, I always tell the story. It was 12, 12, 12. It was December 12th of 2012. And I'm sitting at Chipotle crying into my burrito bowl because <laughs> I'm, I'm working at this corporate job and I'm so miserable and I'm just unhappy. And my mom is sitting across from me. And she's like, Stephanie, what do you want to do with your life? And I'm like, but not this. And she's like, what do you want to do? And that was the first time I ever opened my mouth and said, I think I would like to make a company that kind of helps people go through this self-publishing process, but do it in a way that it's not this big mystery and make sure that they understand what they're getting into, what the responsibilities are, how it works and get a quality product, move through it and let it be a positive experience. And I thought she was going to be like, you need to pick something else. Right. (laughs) But um, she was at, my mom was actually the one that had heard about the espresso book machine, which is sitting right over there. And she was like, well, you know, put your business plan together. And she was talking about that. And then I pulled in Patty because I knew she had tech experience and the machine runs on a Mac server. So I started kind of pulling people together that I thought would be smart enough to kind of help me navigate this. And here we are going into year four. And it's, it's been a really cool experience because we've had some really incredible clients, uh, incredible authors, people that have had awesome stories, and we've been able to help them put it together in a way that it looks professional because it is professional, have all the right pieces of the puzzle and kind of put it together and then try to help them navigate the self-publishing waters. And, and I've, I've had several clients that have come back for their second and third books. So I'm assuming I'm doing something right. (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't shock me. Um, I, I actually, the other thing that, that you do is you don't, you don't always, you know, accept, except there are some people who, who you don't know if you're the right person to help them. Right. Um, There've been some clients we've had to we kind of had to part ways because right. it just wasn't a good fit. And I, I was approached by someone to help them write a book. And I said, well, if we're going to do this, then Stephanie's going to have to be the publisher. And, and I'm like, I, it's funny. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, well, Stephanie's going to have to do it. And I'm like, I have no idea what Stephanie does. So then, <laughs> then I had to Crash have her course. come over and she did, she did walk through the whole thing. This is how it goes. This is what you can expect. And before I had to even make it, I don't want to make it a commercial. I just realized how much sure. of a commercial it sounds like. You know. But before I, before I had to make a decision, I had, I felt like I was in the right place to make a decision. Because if I were shopping around, the next person I talked to, I could say, all right, what about this? What about that? What about the other thing? You kind of gave me an idea about how the pieces would all go together. And it just makes it a little bit easier because it's not only an investment of, of money and stuff, but it's it's like... I don't want this to be ugly. I don't want this to be bad. I don't, right. I don't want this to not look professional. And until you've dealt with the publisher, you don't know what's going to happen. I'm my own publisher, history press, not a huge fan of, you know, and there is nothing I can do about it because once you're in with a publisher, especially a traditional publisher, once you're in with a tr- traditional publisher, it's, it's kind of like white intellectual slavery, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. it's not. It's okay. not awful. It's just like I'm going to have to write seven thousand books if I ever want to stop doing anything but writing books, because they give me, you know, a nickel for every book that I make, and I have to do all the marketing. And one of the upsides, I think, of uh, of independent publishing is that if you're going to do all that work, at least like you'll get ten times the profit back. Right. You know, you, you actually get money for your book as well as the pleasure of going out and going on podcasts and doing radio and doing television. I mean, you, if you're going to have to do all that marketing work anyway, is is if for those of you out there who have been published on the History Press, if you're going to have to do all that work anyway, you may as well get to get a check that you can take home at the end of the day. 
absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, when we talk about indie publishing and when we talk about self-publishing, you know, there, there are, and when I have a client come in, I always, you know, and they're like, I don't know if I should do this or do that. And I'm like, listen, with any way that you go, there are pros and cons, right? There are certainly pros and cons to self-publishing and there are certainly pros and cons to for traditional. You just sort of have to like know your projects and what, which pros and which cons are best for you and which ones right. you can live with. And certainly one of the, uh, obvious you know cons of self-publishing you have to pay to get it out you have to do a lot of the footwork you have to do like you said you got to do a lot of that stuff anyway the burden falls a lot on the author's shoulders although you know i try to help as much as i can in a myriad of different ways the bulk of the work really does still fall to the author so you know that is clearly one of the cons however one of the what i like to think of one of the pros is that the author gets a bit of control over the process. They can see it coming to life. Um, we work together, you know, so that as I'm building their book, as I'm building things, it's coming to life in a way that they would want it. They would want it to right. see come to life. And I'm not always sure that with traditional publishing, that's always the case that, you know, the author can say, this is really my vision. And they goes, yeah, but that doesn't work for us. You know, yeah, so, no, they, everything from the title to the, to the, typefaces sorry for your troubles if you don't like it you can oh actually you can't do anything you already signed the contract yeah so so So, yeah that's one of the things i've I've always felt strongly about it's there it's the client's work and it should come to life in a way that when they get that book in their hand they go yes this this feels right it looks right this is what i envisioned or hopefully maybe it's even better than they envisioned and you know so i i think with i think self-publishing is like I said, I think there's been a stigma on it for a long time. You know, people think like, oh, it's the rejects who can't get published. And that, and yes, there is a lot of terrible stuff that does get self-published. I there's mean, a lot of stuff that gets – terrible stuff that gets traditionally published. Exactly. That was where I was headed next. <laughs> I mean, there's like terrible stuff on both sides of the coin. But, you know, as what I consider to be a poster child for self-publishing, you know, I did – have what I felt were legitimate stories that I wanted to tell. And I thought, you know what? There should just be somebody, some company that will help people do it and do it so that they're not embarrassed of it later, you know? And speaking of which, Crossings is available in hardback and in paperback? Uh, you would think I'd have it available in paperback. Um, it's actually an ebook. Um, that was actually our first, uh, we used Crossings as our first. Uh, guinea pig when we went in into doing ebooks mm-hmm. i was like well i already just have this book that we can uh, we can mess around with and see how and so we did crossings as an ebook and i started to do a layout for uh, uh, crossings to be a paperback and then i just got busy with other people's work so as usual your own work yeah. falls to the back shoemakers children are barefoot always all right well stephanie this is the part of the show where you thank the audience i guess oh guys thank you so much i hope you keep listening and send us a little bit of love we'll send you haikus and limericks so what's your story was recorded at saltwater media an indie book publisher in berlin maryland want to hear more visit www.saltwatermedia.com and subscribe to the podcast on itunes or on stitcher want other people to hear more give us a great review there tell your story